Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. It's bonus time on the Ben Jarofsky Show. As I talk, it is Wednesday, July 3rd. When you listen to this, Lord knows when you're listening to it's because it's a podcast, right? We've covered this uh, from time to time, D, on our show. Today, we're trying something a little different. So uh, as with all bonus... Uh, uh, bonus material on the Ben Jarofsky show. We allow our guest to introduce him or herself. So mystery guests, introduce yourself. Tell our listeners who you are. Go ahead. Joe Colley from the Chicago Sun-Times Bulls beat writer slash NBA writer. That is correct. I've been talking about this all day uh, on the live show, the live stream. Uh, Dennis, uh, the producer who usually keeps tight rein on me, won't let me talk about sports. Joe Colley, can you believe that? He goes, you're not allowed to talk about sports. But somehow or other today, I guess because it's the 4th of July, uh, he's letting me have this interview with you. I'm really looking forward to it because as everybody knows, Joe, I'm a bull. Uh, my... First love when it comes to sports, the Chicago Bulls. So let's just start it with this depressing news that you just broke to me. Uh, <laughs> I, I said I started the, the, this whole conversation, ladies and gentlemen, by asking Joe, "Had anything happened today in the NBA?" And he goes, "No, not really." Blah blah. Oh man, as an afterthought, you told me what? Wendell Carter Jr. We will not see him in summer league. He is uh, slated for July 9th surgery for a core muscle injury. Um, that really screws up his development this summer. Um, they had, I believe, two more workout blocks with the starting groups coming this summer as well as summer league. Uh, so now he uh, is expected to be ready for training camp, but um, it's, it's a big kind of kick in the sack. I mean, you're just a guy that's been out since mid-January when he hurt the thumb in, in Los Angeles, um, and that hurt the development. And now you have uh, kind of another speed bump along the way in his uh course to be a starter and to kind of be a force that they feel like is uh in, in the middle of their defense and um so yeah it's it's gonna kind of mess things up but you know they, they're expecting him to be back for the start of training camp which means we'll see him probably in december oh my goodness is it it just me joe or or do you when you uh the bulls uh so tender that if you just look at a chicago bull the guy gets hurt no, I mean, you know, look, they have some of it's luck, some of it's or bad luck. You know, I mean, look, there's no Tom Thibodeau to people to blame anymore, which was the most <laughs> ludicrous thing in the world when he got blamed for injuries and, yeah. the, and the front office went overboard on minute constraints and all that stuff. You know, I, I've talked to a lot of people and the bottom line is. You have these kids that are growing up and they're not playing multi-sports anymore. They're just focusing on one sport. So it's just kind of basketball all school year. Then they go into the summer AAU. So it's the same muscles over and over and over again because they're just down to one sport because everybody's become so specialized. And I think that's why you're seeing so so many of these injuries and these frequent injuries, um, especially in the NBA. And I think that's why the commissioner is taking a hard look at cutting the schedule back from 82 games uh, just because the uh, – season seems to be kicking people's butts and kids don't play multi-sports anymore and it's the problem 
Yeah. All right. Well, I don't know. It just also seems like so bizarre. I've been following the Bulls for a long time. I could just, I could, I could go on and on about like Luol Deng suddenly getting some bizarre uh, ailment that had him in the hospital in the middle of a playoff game. The just, spinal tap they gave him. That yeah, was nice. I, yeah, yeah. So I, I look. Your your explanation is as good as any I've heard, but it just seems like for, as a Bulls fan, I'm speaking as a Bulls fan. You're a Bulls writer. It's a little different. It just seems like they're always breaking down. And I was just was so flabbergasted when you told me Wendell because I was looking forward to Wendell Carter playing you know let's see what he can do and see how he plays um with you know uh the new guys that they have coming on all right now uh before i get into the first issue i want to talk to you which is about tampering i'm going to do this as sort of a a prelude to uh, the further conversation i'm going to read a section of the article you wrote in today's sun times my beloved bright one home delivered every day everything here seems just thin uh a little pun there by the uh headline writer thin as opposed to fine they're talking about Lori marketing and if he develops to be a superstar the bulls will really have a chance to be some kind of team uh and so i will read the concluding paragraphs uh, of your story joe uh if Lori can stay healthy and come close to duplicating those numbers over an 82 game season well john paxson and general manager gar foreman may indeed have landed their superstar and they did it from within if not This is nothing but another run toward mediocrity. Different rosters, same old outcome, same old bull. Excuse me, Joel, I hit the bottle at that depressing ending to that. Uh, (laughs) Oh, God, I need a hard one. All right, uh, before we get into you flesh that out a little bit, will this be another uh, mediocre season for the Chicago Bulls? We've just finished free agency. All these big-time players are going to all these diff- big-time places. The announcement was made, uh, what was it, uh, I've lost track of time, I believe Sunday at 6 p.m., and supposedly uh, the negotiating is not supposed to begin until Sunday at 6 p.m., and yet all these deals were announced. Uh, how could it possibly be that deals have been made before the negotiations are even supposed to be allowed to happen? Yeah, these a lot of these deals are are the genesis of them come from the players years and years before. Um, a lot of these Team USA gatherings, when all these guys are together playing USA basketball, they get to know each other. They want to play with each other. Some guys played with each other back in AAU or played against each other and became friends. I mean, it is a whole uh, big secret society out there that the NBA has no control over. I mean, they could watch owners they could watch gms and 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 vps uh and and keep an eye on them and their social media and if they say something publicly on tv like magic johnson uh did a couple or or last year um you know they, they they can watch that but there's no way i mean this is the wild west there's no way they could keep track of players talking to players agents talking to players agents stealing players so that they could be under the same umbrella as a player that's their friend um i mean we're seeing all that stuff go on and you know you, you just can't control it i mean there's it's just when you have so few guys on a roster and you have so many guys that interact throughout the year and a bunch of them are out in los angeles playing pickup and stuff it's just a natural thing i want to play with my buddies i like the way my guy plays he's a dog he's a foxhole type guy i want him on my roster um, the two guys on my roster right now are soft. I don't want them. I want to be elsewhere. So that's how this stuff kind of just, you know, it just goes from there. And these guys all talk and then they talk to their agent and the agent uses back channels to get it to the front office. And there you go. It's all, you know, it's all in the sewage below us. Um, and the NBA just kind of looks and looks for the stuff that's above them. And it, it, you just, you're not going to find much stuff. You have to really be stupid 
and have to make a huge slip up to get caught tampering in the NBA these days. <laughs> well, uh, uh, considering that they have uh, the basic contracts all they already agreed on, it seems as though there's a lot of back uh, channel action going on, Joe. It's more than just uh, basketball players talking to each other in the summer league you know what i'm saying like at six o'clock on the button the announcement was made that not only did this player agree to terms with that team but there was an amount agreed yeah. to. yeah well a lot of these guys are, are signing max deal so it's a set amount anyway you know what i mean mm-hmm. so that that's kind of you either tell your agent i want the max or okay i'll take a little bit less but usually if the, the big names that are green are green for the max and the max is a standard number. So, um, you know, it's pretty simple to say that's what that guy's getting. Now, since there really is no control over tampering, uh, the free market uh, libertarian in me says, Joe, just get rid of the pretense of rules against tampering. What's your thought about that? Well, you know, that, that's that's kind of tough because you do have to have some kind of outline of how you want your season to go. And I think the NBA loves the idea that this tampering is going on and people can talk about all these rumors throughout the year. Look, when Jimmy Butler was in Minnesota, uh, right when that season ended after they lost in the playoffs, I was up in Minnesota and I had a chance to interview him and the signs that were, I mean, he was basically telling me he's out of here and he's not sticking around with these two soft bums in Wiggins and Towns. He's just not. <laughs> Um, yeah. you know, he's, he's just like, I'm, I'm, these ain't, these, this ain't happening here. So I wrote that. And then months later, you know, ESPN breaks that Jimmy Butler wants out of Minnesota. I was like, well, th- why is anyone surprised? The writing was on the wall. He demanded a trade without demanding a trade in the sun times article. And Minnesota just didn't want to listen. I thought Tibbs felt he could talk him into it. Meanwhile, the whole Jimmy thing went back two years earlier at team USA, he really got along with Kyrie Irving. I mean, his goal, Jimmy's goal before he got traded by the bulls mm-hmm. was to either bring Kyle Lowry or Kyrie Irving to Chicago. That's what he wanted. He wanted to build his own super team. He left with to, to go see um, Mark Wahlberg in London after talking to Gar and Pax for a movie pr- preview, mm-hmm. thinking that they were going to keep him. They were going to clear the roster eventually and they were going to let him try bringing those guys in or trade for one of those guys getting a third team involved. That's why he was so pissed when he got traded. He felt blindsided. He felt like I could build this thing if they let me in Chicago because you need superstars. But Garn Pax decided, you know what? We don't, we don't need Jimmy at that amount of money, and we don't really care what his plan is, and they went and moved him to Minnesota. Now Jimmy, when you look at where he is right now, he's down in Miami with a bunch of contracts coming off the books next year, and now he's got – uh, a, a general manager or he's got a coach with rings a vp of, of basketball and pat riley or president of the organization and pat riley with rings and he's going to have a ton of money and south beach to sell you don't think jimmy is on cloud nine right now yeah. everyone's like why did jimmy go to miami because jimmy's going to finally get what he wanted to do in chicago build something with the guys he wants and have the cap to go ahead and do that after after the miami's Contracts come off the books next year. All right, let's go. Uh, let's do a little Monday morning quarterbacking, Joe. Uh, in your opinion, would the Bulls have been better served to have listened to Jimmy two years ago and allow him to do that recruiting to bring uh, superstars to Chicago, so we would be like what the Lakers are facing right now, where LeBron brought in Antonio Davis? Uh, would we have been in better position if the Bulls had listened to Jimmy Butler? Hell yes. Hell yes, because this is a superstar league. I mean, you want to look the last decade and say, all right, who's all the champions? There's a superstar on at least one on every one of those teams. Who's your superstar on the Bulls? 
you know, they're, they're beating this drum that um, we can do it with a great team. Like, like the Chauncey Billups Pistons did it. Okay. That was like 13 years ago, 15 years ago, the game has completely changed. You need big time superstar players and more than one to win these days. And, and for the bulls to think that this whole grit and tough spirit and team and, you know, having a bunch of good guys and, and choir boys and Kumbaya is going to get it done. That's just not reality. That's just not how the NBA is working these days. So um, that's why I wrote that article that Larry Markinen better be that superstar because this this salary, um, the, the free agent salary they just spent, this, this roster is yeah. locked for two years, barring a trade. But I'm just talking from a contract standpoint, you are locked next year. And then when Otto Porter Jr. takes his player option and opts in, which he will at $28 because he ain't going to get that in the open market, you are locked in the year after that with these same guys. Where's your superstar? All right. Now let's talk about uh, you said uh, that uh, Jimmy thought that the Bulls were going to follow his advice and allow him yeah. to set up. Who who uh, who is responsible for switching gears? Who's responsible when the Bulls organization for essentially uh, following Jimmy's advice and then going in the direction they did? Well, the whole organization, the whole front office, and obviously ownership. I mean, it's 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 not a big circle at the top there. I mean, Gar Foreman and John Paxson and Michael Reinsdorf and Jerry Reinsdorf make the main main decisions, and the buck stops with Jerry. Anytime there's a major decision, it's run by Jerry Reinsdorf, and he has the final you know thumbs up or thumbs down. So, um, the one that Jimmy Phil feels lied to him and lied to his agent was Gar Foreman. And, you know, Gar will say that, well, I'm a general manager. I can't tell them, Hey, we're going to trade you or not trade you for sure. If an offer comes through, but Jimmy Butler felt like, look, I was the last pick of a first round. I worked my ass off. I sat for the first year. I put up with Derek's bullshit. I put up with Joakim Noah's BS and I was the good soldier and I worked for everything I got. And I thought you guys would respect that because I did everything the right way that the last pick of the first round should do. And when it's time to pay me and when it's time to give me a little bit of respect and a little bit of power to say, Hey, this is what I think the franchise should do. You give me a nod. Yes. And I get on a plane to go to London and you trade me. Yeah. So that's why his trainer sent that tweet out saying, I know drug dealers on the South side with more morals than Gar Foreman. <laughs> I mean, they, they felt like they were totally betrayed. Yeah. Cause look, Jimmy wanted to stay in Chicago. He wanted to, Jimmy was not afraid of that Jordan statue and the shadow that yeah. it casts on some guys. I'll tell you that right now. Yeah. That's one guy that, you know the way he grew up and you knew what he was about. That that statue didn't scare him. And I think it scares a lot of people from, from coming here. And um, that was the one thing. Jimmy wanted to build this thing here. And, you know, people still think I'm beating the Jimmy Butler drum and stuff. But here you are two years after the rebuild. You had a superstar, arguably one of the top three two-way players in the league. And you let him go. And now you're trying to find a new superstar. You had one. Yeah. You blew up one superstar and you have none right now. So do you have young possibilities? Absolutely. But all that is is prospects. Right now, prospects are nothing but suspects. And and until they prove it and prove it year after year, um, you know, you just have a team with hope, not reality. All right, let's get, uh, let's d- dive into that a little bit, the prospects and the hope. Are you just puncturing all my hope, Joe Cowley, all right? I'm sorry, brother. Uh, hold on. I got to take another shot of that liquor. Oh, mm. 
Actually, it's just water from the Sun-Times cooler. Delicious water here. Uh, I'm drinking the Bulls Kool-Aid, uh, Joe Colley. All right, let's uh, talk about these draft choices. Kobe White, uh, what, what's your, uh, your thoughts on him? Um, super fast in the open court. Um, elite speed. Um, elite, elite excitement. Uh, really good catch and shoot. Not good at, at, at walk-up threes and, 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 and pick and roll. Uh, Needs some work. Um, but he's not a true point guard yet. He's not an NBA point guard. So basically you got a square peg and they're going to try jamming it into that round hole and, and, and see how it fits. And it's going to take some work. I mean, you know, the idea that he's like Fox from Sacramento, that that's just not the case. He's a bigger version of him. I don't think he's as athletic. I don't think he sees the court nearly as, as well um, as Fox does. So, you know, that that's, you know, you're, you, he, he became the point guard in North Carolina out of attrition, not because he was such a great point guard. I mean, they, they needed him to step up and be a point guard because they needed someone to play that spot. And he did that. So he's not a true point guard. What he is and what is nice, though, in the offense, they want to run lots of times late in the game. They have the Zach Levine plays a uh, playmaker. Yeah. And and so he's the one bringing the ball up in the final, you know, eight minutes of the game. Uh, they like the way he runs the offense. And you could get a Kobe White, and he could be a threat as a corner three. Where Dunn, when he was off the ball, it was over yeah. with. There was murder. She wrote. I mean, he did. He was not a threat to the defense from outside. Um, you know, he would have to attack. You'd have to go backside pick and rolls, and you'd have to do stuff like that away from the ball um, because he just wasn't going to be a threat. So that's the good thing about him. But he has a he has a ways to go before you say, okay, this point guard thing is is working. To me, it's still more experiment where you may need to go and say we need to investigate free agency and and um and and i think that's why they did the sign and trade with washington and 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 brought in thomas sanaraski because he is a combo guard who sees the floor a little bit better um and and could probably teach kobe white some things as far as when the when the game slows down and you know i I think in the regular season kobe white is, is is gonna really put on some 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 good shows but we, we see what the playoffs are all about. And when you make adjustments and teams understand your strengths and weaknesses because they're able to watch film and see the same team over and over again, his game will be exposed because you have to be able to play half-court set as a point guard. And, and there will be some, some some many moments where he has to slow it down and he has to show that aspect. So, But I think of where they were picking in a weak draft, um, it's, a, it's a solid pick. All right, let me, let me ask you a question here. Now I'm a... I, I don't pretend in any way to be uh, an astute uh, student of the game of basketball or a coach, etc. But I watch a lot of games, right. and I'm watching uh, the, the world champion for three out of the last five years or so, uh, Golden State Warriors. More often than not, yeah. Draymond Green is bringing up the ball. Uh, d- uh, Kevin Durant is bringing up the ball up the court. I don't see the traditional point guard. It seems like the Bulls are like constantly looking for Norm Van Leer again. You know what I mean? Like a 1970s point guard. I- I'm looking at uh, Kawhi Leonard would bring up the ball more often than not for Toronto in a lot of these games. Why can't the Bulls just structure uh, an offense where they don't have to have the the return of Norm Van Leer? Why is it that the Chicago Bulls seem lodged in 1970s basketball, Joe Colley? Well, I, I think that I think they took strides this this year, and I don't think they're stuck in it necessarily. I mean, Jim Boylan is, is a one in four out coach. He likes that one big guy in the post in the paint. He likes four guys out and then run action off of it. I mean, that's just what he likes. And as far as off the, off the rebound, he likes multi ball handlers. That's kind of the offense they fell into. And 
that's great. I mean, if, if you have different guys bringing it up, but to do that, you also have, I mean, Draymond Green could bring it up and drive and kick because he has Clay Thompson and he has Steph Curry. So he has, <laughs> he has shooters where he can yeah. bring it up and attack. Yeah. So if you're going to play that style, there's a give and take. Okay, I've got this 6'8", six, 6'9", six, forward who's a, who's a good ball handler, has good ball security. I trust him to rebound and bring it up. And I know he, if he drives, he's going to kick. I mean, look at Draymond and the way, you know, maybe this year, not in the finals, but in the previous couple finals, um, you know, I mean, he was triple doubling. I mean, he was finding guys left and right because he's a very good playmaker because he knows he has guys, his point guard can shoot from outside. So, okay. If you don't have the traditional point guard, the Isaiah Thomas, the, uh, uh, the guy that gets your 10, 11 assists, which is a dying trait. I get that. Yeah. Um, then you better have shooters. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the Bulls still don't uh, have shooters. What's with the Bulls and, and know, shooters, that, Joe Colley? <laughs> well, I mean, that, that goes back to, you know, Tom Thibodeau and the fact that Tom had this bench mob with Kyle Korver was ready to, you know, after they lost to Miami and kind of Derrick Rose was kind of exposed by LeBron, you know, Tom felt really good. Well, going into the next year, we now know that Kyle Corbin needs to get more shots and, and, and we also need to look for more outside shooting and blah, 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 blah. And then the front office took that bench mob away. Kyle Corver was sent elsewhere. And um, so that, that, that really weakened him since then. I mean, look, they brought in Fred Hoiberg, a guy whose offense was built on space and pace yeah. and never gave him the space <laughs> and really never even gave him the guy that does the pace. So, you know, his, yeah. his big, he, he comes in, he goes, this is my offense. And they go, okay, we're going to get you Rondo who can't shoot from the outside. And we're going to get you Dwayne Wade. Who's 86 years old. Yeah. Um, and so it, it to me, there's a, a, this is the first off season so far in the first draft where I've actually felt like the front office sat down with the coach and said, okay, well, what do you need exactly? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's what you need. All right. Well, we'll try and get you guys like that because it seems now they're finally starting. When you go to get a Thaddeus young, you're getting a guy that Jim Boylan covets and, and, and loves and, and knows really well from the Indiana, uh, you know, his days with Indiana. And um, so I, I think Jim has kept in contact with coaches there and Thaddeus has been there the last couple of years. So um, this is a guy that, that, that Jim Boylan could covet. And, 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 um, so, and even the, the draft pick, you know, he brought Kobe white in and their meeting and those two had a really good talk and, you know, hit the dry board and did some plays and some sets. And he really liked, uh, the kid's thought process. So there actually seemed to finally listen to the coach and say, Oh, this is what you want. Where the last couple of years under Tibbs, they, they didn't give a damn what Tibbs said. They were just doing their own thing. I mean, the, the two sides were barely speaking, um, so let alone sitting down and agreeing on players just didn't happen. And then Fred, they seemed to take everything Fred was about the reason <laughs> they hired the man and do everything backwards. Yeah. So, um, it's just kind of been bizarre. The relationship between front office and coach. Well, based on uh, the things I've read, things that you've written, uh, it would seem like Kobe white, uh, the, the first round draft choice this year, uh, fits what the bulls need. Just following up what you said the guy's not a bad shooter i think he's no, shot no. 35 percent. so like if laurie markinen he did this a few times last year uh joe he brought the ball up to court so if you want to follow that draymond green pattern the kevin durant pattern the quiet leonard pattern you got marketing bring up the ball stop trying to make kobe white into norm van leer or isaiah thomas and take advantage of what he's got which is some shooting ability Right. And, and I think they will. That's why they're probably easing him in at the two guard first. Let him learn that and, and the sets that they want out of that. 
and then I think you'll see him slowly move over to the point and have a chance to play make I, you know when I say the point I, uh, that's become obsolete it's basically a whole move over to a playmaking role yeah. because that's really what it is I mean you could have a you know a six seven guy who's your playmaker I mean so you, you, I, I don't mean to jam him into that point but I will say come playoff time roles are defined a little bit more and because team the game slows down teams are well versed in what you've been doing what your sets are so you have to have that guy that can can go 100 miles an hour but then the next time down the court knows that it's a it's a school zone he needs to slow it down and 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 actually run a, a an efficient offense and and be where he needs to be and 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 so that's what kobe white has to learn all right now joe i gotta ask you a question about covering the bulls uh, i've been reading you for a long time and you're not afraid to put it mildly to be critical of the Chicago Bulls management. And uh, I know that when from covering politics in Chicago, the way they treat somebody uh, who is critical is they just stop talking to you, okay? They try to freeze you out. I can tell right. you this from personal experience. Uh, how do the Bulls treat someone like you who is unafraid to be critical? Well, the, the problem is, you know, I did the White Sox for 12 years, and my relationship with Jerry Reinsdorf was – pretty well uh, publicized, especially when he came out with statements, uh, public statements condemning me when the whole Ozzie Kenny, you know, I started breaking all the news on the whole civil war between Ozzie and Kenny Williams and the White Sox wanted to pretend it didn't exist the first year I was writing it. And the, and the Trib also wanted to pretend it didn't exist. And then finally, when it got so heated and so many other people were getting involved in it, family, other coaches, um, it couldn't be ignored anymore. And then Jerry Ronsoff had to come out with a statement and say, yes, there's a problem between Kenny and Ozzy and I'm working on it. And, um, and that kind of ended the relationship with Jerry Reinsdorf and, and myself. Um, we had a private secret meeting one day up in the, in the Fox, uh, the Fox crew wasn't working the game. They were supposed to be doing the, uh, nationals white Sox game on that Saturday. So we met on a Friday night and, had our last heart-to-heart talk where we were going to try fixing the relationship, and that lasted about a week. <laughs> um, and that was the last time Jerry and I have actually even spoken. Um, so, And then, obviously, I, the last couple of years covering the White Sox, I had no relationship with, with Ken Williams, the general manager, um, whatsoever. And, you know, that's just life. And here's the, here's the nice thing. When you're covering a pro team, the general man, as soon as the general manager thinks he needs you or – thinks that he's going to put you on his nipple and give you these little nuggets of, Hey, I'm going to sign this guy to a 10 day, 10 day contract. And, and, and then, uh, you know, you're my guy and feed you these little things that you think, Oh, I'm on the inside. That's all BS because that's, that's garbage news. I mean, yeah, there's little details of a team I'm not going to have compared to some guys. Um, but for the most part, guys know when there's the BS is happening behind the scenes the big stuff that actually affects the product that other people don't want to report. That's where guys are going to come to me. Cause they know I'm not, I, I don't have an agenda with the front office or I'm not worried if the front office doesn't want to feed me these little tidbits. And to me, that's just not the, the bulls or the white Sox. That's what's happening in journalism all around, especially in sports. You see fewer and fewer journalists, um, willing to take on the front office because they know that's the one constant that's going to stay. Yeah. It's easy to criticize the coach because he has, you know, he, his job is basically life support. It's just a matter of when the plug is pulled. Yeah. It's easy to get on a player because you know, his contract is X amount of years and, and eventually he's going to be gone. The thing that's hard to attack is the institution itself because that's the constant. 
owners don't sell very often. So it hasn't been pretty. And then when I came over to the Bulls, I thought that would carry over with Michael Reinsdorf. But I will, I will say that Michael Reinsdorf has been very respectful of what I do and doesn't take things personal like his father did. And he, his, his hope is that other people in the front office don't think, take things personal and just do their job and, and criticism comes with the job. So that's been refreshing. But, you know, I mean, Gar Foreman and I aren't going out to breakfast anytime <laughs> soon, put it that way. All right, let me put it to ask you this one. Okay, so I, I'm, I'm reading between the lines of what you're saying, and I, I'm, I'm coming away with the conclusion that uh, Gar Foreman or John Paxson are not going to call you up and say, hey, Joe, here's the deal. Uh, we're going to make a trade tomorrow, uh, but if you, you'll be the first. You got the scoop. You can run with it. You look like you're a great investigative reporter. Right, right. All right. That's not happening. So you no, gotta, no. You've got to read other outlets to get that stuff. It ain't happening with me. All right. But will they at least talk to you? Yeah. I mean, look, you know, uh, John Paxson and I, we, we went through a uh, probably about a cold war for about a year and a half where we weren't speaking, and um, that's been – been repaired i think he and i have a better understanding of uh he you know the problem is when i came over i thought oh no it's just another reinsdorf reinsdorf owned organization so once a bridge is burned it's not going to be repaired and some haven't but some have and so it's been you know i've been trying to just figure out those waters as this thing's gone on and um you know I, i think a lot of people you know, there's certain, you know, a lot of people are, are, are critical of the way I've handled Derek Rose. Well, you know what? Derek Rose was, I didn't have the experience that other writers had with him. So let's put that out there. I didn't come, I didn't, I didn't take over the team until his first year where he was injured. So I didn't have, you know, Derek Rose, the, uh, the, the great kid from Chicago, blah, 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 that whole hyped up, you know, aspect of Derek Rose. I had a guy that I did a story on and Hours later, he tried lying and backtracking on the story, and then Jerry Reinsdorf released a statement condemning the story and condemning me that night. I believe malicious, malicious fiction was the ad- adjective he used to describe me or describe the story. Um, and then they propped Derek up on ESPN like a little puppet to go ahead and say what he said wasn't true, even though I had the whole damn interview on tape. <laughs> and, it was, and it was actually a positive yeah. story. It was about Derek taking his brand back mm-hmm. and— Admitting that, yes, I've had problems and my camp has had problems with with the Bulls, but I want that to stop. I want to. That's what the story was. But dumbass Derek didn't understand it was a positive story because his people have their hands up his coolie and Jerry did and put the puppet on TV. And so, you know, that right there was my first couple of years with the Bulls. So it wasn't the greatest entry. All right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah. um, you know, people wonder, well, you have this vendetta against Derrick Rose. It's not a vendetta. Derrick Rose lied. He flat out lied uh, and, and tried to disclaim a story that was a positive story that shed a good light on him. But his camp and he are so dumb they didn't realize it. And so, you know, that that's that's how I started off my relationship with Derrick Rose. And, um, you know, to this day, I will say this, Derrick would answer my questions. He wouldn't look me in the eye. And some people like, oh, yeah, he's look how he won't look in the eye. I don't give a damn where he looks. Answer my question. I don't care where he's looking. So, um, you know, I mean, that that was uh, he would at least answer the question when I asked him. So, um, you know, so I've had those kind of battles. And and at first I thought I came in with more of a reputation and the Reinsdorfs were were trying to criticize me to players. Don't talk to him, talk to him. That wasn't the case. And and I will say that Michael has been um, very fair with me 
and very honest with me, um, you know, from the get go. Now the old man wants nothing to do with me and some of the players that I've covered along the way. But, you know, I mean, you know, that comes with the territory. If everybody likes you, you're not doing your damn job. Joe, do you enjoy covering the Bulls? Yeah, I actually really do. I, I, I actually do. I mean, I love the NBA. The NBA to me is the ultimate male, uh, not even male anymore. I'll say it's the ultimate soap opera. Yeah. It's, you know, it used to be like kind of what the WWF back in the day and now WWE was, you know, 20 years ago where it was kind of like a, a male soap opera. And I think the NBA has done a great job capturing the calendar almost year round, which the NFL has, has done well and put their footprint on. And um, I mean, look right now, I mean, Toronto wins a championship and a day later, no one even cares except if you're Canadian. Everybody's <laughs> talking about where this guy's going, where this yeah. guy's going. I mean, it's great, and it just doesn't stop. Now we go right to Summer League, and there's Summer League has turned into – I can't even – the last three years of Summer League have just been chaos. It's been just a circus out there, and it's great. And um, and then, you know, you got a month to kind of breathe, and it goes right into the into training camp and the regular season. And, you know, and you look at these super teams, and everyone tries to pretend there's ways to beat them, even though the same two teams that everyone feels are going to be there are usually there. And, yeah. Um, you know, but it, it's great. It's fantastic. Yeah. All right. Uh, now, my takeaway from this interview is that the Bulls should have listened to Jimmy Butler two years ago. Uh, I think that's pretty obvious, uh, given where the league's going. And if you have a superstar who's willing to recruit, you should listen to him. That said... Uh, in in your humble opinion, Joe, will I be uh, in Grant Park this time next year celebrating a Bulls championship? Uh, no, <laughs> no. Here's here, look. Here's your best case scenario right now. Okay, that, bring it to me. Yes, that that Larry Markinen is what he was in February, which was which was an elite uh, stretch four. Okay. I mean, let's not take away his February. That was an eleven game stretch where you say whoa i mean if he can do that or do close to that year round now you're talking about a guy that at least is on that fringe of superstar and working his way towards being maybe a a, a poor man's dirk or a mini dirk nowitzki okay so th- to me that's huge what kobe white is and what his game translates in the nba that'd be fun to watch you know, I think the ceiling on Zach is inches and not feet. Okay. Auto Porter obviously is what he is, yeah. which, you know, is, is pretty solid. Uh-huh. So I think if everything works out, they are a six to eight seed in the playoffs, likely eliminating that first round. But they get what they want. They get back to the playoffs. I know Gar likes to beat his chest and show how many times he's been in the playoffs. <laughs> um, that's important to him. Uh-huh. But. Um, Grant Park? No, the only way you're going there is to see a, a concert. Bro. <laughs> uh, <laughs> there ain't no parade coming that way. Not uh, for a while. Not with this makeup of this team. It's just not. It's not superstar enough. It's got to be. You know, this the three guys have to emerge from this core, and then they're going to have to add bigger names to it before we even get to that 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 idea. Yeah. All right. Well, what? Uh, or, or everybody else on every other team uh, in the East has to get injured. Uh, which, there you go. You yeah. know, I, I, and actually, I never. All kidding aside, I never uh, root for someone to get injured. Uh, Joe, this was a blast talking to you. I, I hope to do this again uh, when the season starts. Get you in the studio and uh, see how good your uh, predictions are. Uh, it's even though you started the interview with that bad news about Wendell Carter Jr., <laughs> which I did not know about. Oh, good God, he's already hurt. Uh, I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. So thanks a lot, Joe. All right, bro. Anytime. We'll, we'll do it again in the fall. All right, very good. That's Joe Colley. I'm Ben Jarofsky, and it's been a Ben Jarofsky bonus segment. And it's been a lot of fun talking Ooh. basketball with Joe Colley. Uh, Dr. D, thank you very much for allowing me to indulge myself here. Did you enjoy that? Yeah. It was <laughs> yeah.
Golly. You had a good time? Oh, my goodness. Breaks the news. Wendell Carter got hurt. Okay, I've been in the studio talking all day long about politics, national politics, very important issues. Okay? Nobody told me Wendell Carter got hurt. D, you didn't tell me Wendell Carter got hurt. I told you before the interview started. Yeah, when Joe Colley told me. It's like, what? You got to be kidding. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, I want everybody to have a safe uh, 4th of July. When you hear this, the 4th of July will be passed. But I hope you have a great 4th of July. And uh, see you next week on the Ben Jarofsky Show. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. <laughs> AutoTrader.